Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. And we're going to be looking at chapter 13, Parable of the Sower. We started looking at it last time we were in Matthew. And this time we're going to be doing more of a close-up. We're going to deal with the meaning of the parable itself. Last time we kind of gave an overview. We're getting into the nitty-gritty this morning. We're going to get into it. Now I'm going to read verses 1 to 9, since we dealt with the other sections last time. And then we're going to pick it back up from 18 to 23. 1 to 9, 18 to 23. Let's stand together for the reading, for the reading of God's Word. Hear the Word of God to you this morning. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. And then we pick it up in verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Ascends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this very morning. You may be seated. My brothers and sisters in Christ. Michael Green summarizes it very well for us and explains how we are to understand these parables. This one in particular. He says this, In this first parable, we have a reflection of what was happening in the mission of Jesus and the varied responses to which it drove the hearers. The parable is a mirror. It shows people where they stand. It is held up to the faces of Jesus' hearers. It was held up to Matthew's readers, and it is no less challenging today. I think he puts that very well and very succinct. I would summarize it this way. When we look at this parable, we're going to look at it from two lenses. Listen, this is how we are going to apply it as we read it. The one lens is this is how we are to understand when we proclaim the gospel, when we sow the good word, the good news of the kingdom, when we teach people about Jesus. This parable explains the responses we get 
the different responses. So on the one hand, it gives us encouragement as we share the word, as we proclaim the gospel, as we minister in Jesus' name, this is what we can expect. It's great for the gospel worker. That's the one lens. So we will apply it from that angle. But the other lens, this one is much more personal, much more challenging, and much more convicting is this. The other lens is for us to look at the soils as a mirror, as the the commentator said, Michael Green, to see which soil we are. That makes an eternal difference on which one of these four soils we find ourselves in. So that's what we're going to look at. With no further ado, I'm going to jump right into it because we've got a little bit of ground to cover. And we're going to see this is the message. As we sow the good seed of the gospel, Jesus tells us what we can expect as well as where we stand. As we sow the good seed of the gospel, I'll repeat it. Jesus tells us what we can expect and also where we stand as we look at it. Jesus does this by likening people's hearts and minds to soil and his gospel to good seed that's planted in the soil. Now, the first soil he deals with is seed sown among the path. And we're just going to look at each of those in order. Comes right from the text. So let's take a look at the first one, the seed sown along the path. I'll remind you. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that is sown along the path. This first seed that the first soil that Jesus is referring to. The problem with the soil is it's hard as cement. It's like that matted down hard, hard earth that you see that nothing can really grow on because things just bounce off of it like pavement. And what Jesus is saying is sometimes the Bible can be taught, the gospel can be preached. How many Bible clubs have we done? Can I get an amen? And with some folks, we wonder why it's just bouncing off. They're not grabbing it. And Jesus tells us why, because their hearts are not prepared, because their hearts are hardened. And if that wasn't bad enough, there's the enemy of our souls, who is likened in this parable to a bird. And when the seed's just sitting there, easy pickings, the bird comes and says, I better snatch that, and snatches it. The devil is real. Jesus wouldn't have talked about him if he wasn't. And Jesus says the enemy of our souls, the devil, that ancient serpent, he is just waiting for for those who have the hardened hearts. When he sees that seed, he's going to pluck it before they have a minute to understand it. The problem with such folks is they never get deep enough. They never get to understanding. And the devil takes away even what they had. I'm going to just read real quick what um, R.C. Trench, he wrote a really good book called Notes on the Parables. And he puts it really well when he says this. Speaking of this particular uh, person, these type of people. This man understands it not. He does not recognize himself as standing in any relation to the word or to the kingdom of grace which that word proclaims. All that speak of man's connection to an invisible world, all that speaks of sin, of redemption, of holiness, is unintelligible and wholly without significance. He has exposed his heart to as a common road to every evil influence of the world till it has become like pavement. Besides all this, there is one always watching to take advantage of this evil condition 
of the soil. And I like the way he puts it because I remember prior to God opening my eyes, I had no idea there was an invisible world. Amen? I thought the only world there is is what we see, what we could touch, what we can taste. My heart, prior to my conversion, obviously, was dead. And it wasn't until God in His mercy opened my eyes that I could see there's an invisible world. God is real. And unfortunately, in this text, we see so is the devil. And unfortunately, as we preach the gospel, and this is something we have to understand, how often we think it's the fault of our preaching. We think we didn't proclaim it clear enough, or I I didn't say the right things. Some people even blame the gospel when we need a new message. But the problem is none of those things. The problem is what? The human heart. On a total side note, but I I want to just tell you this just so you can see how it relates. So often we come to church and we think, if the music is better, I would worship better. Now believe me, I'm a musician and I know all about trying to aim for excellence for the Lord. Play skillfully to the Lord. Amen. But some people talk about whether they're playing ancient hymns or whether we should play modern music or whether we should do uh, whatever else, other kinds of things. But the real issue is, where's your heart? Did you come to worship God? Would you come to be entertained, right? So really the matter is not external. The matter is internal. And in here in the parables, that's just a little illustration. Here in the parables, we see the problem is the soil, not the seed, not the sower. And sometimes we get, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll hear a testimony. Oh, did you hear so-and-so responded to the gospel and got saved? And then I think to myself, well, I preached the gospel to them. <laughs> you with me? Like two years ago. Like, why didn't they get saved then? Because their heart wasn't ready. Amen? And who knows how the Lord works in terms of the sowing and the reaping. It wasn't time. Just praise God that it is time, right? Whether it's you that preach the gospel or somebody else, Paul says, praise God the gospel is being preached. Even when people don't do it right and for wrong motives, Paul says, praise God. Amen. So that's the seed sown along the path. Straightforward. I'm going to spend a little time on this one. The next one that Jesus refers to. I'm going to start preaching now. It's the seed that fell on rocky places. Look at verses 20 and 21. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since it has, he has no root, He lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Listen, we've all seen it. If we've been walking with Jesus for a little while, that is. Those who start well, some people even start exceptionally well, only to drop out and never be heard from again as far as their faith in Christ is concerned. Now, we often struggle to understand how can this be? I know myself, I've seen people and I say, they were such on fire. These are people I looked up to, man. They had energy, they had zeal for God, looked like they were running well. What in the world happened? And some of these folks, when they started, they were radical in their discipleship. You know? Sell everything. But then we see when the time of trial comes, the time of testing comes, something comes in their life, they fall away. 
And it can really be discouraging to the gospel worker. Remember, Jesus is primarily speaking to his disciples. They're the ones who have the secrets to the kingdom. It can be discouraging when finally someone makes a profession of faith. And then after you've put a lot of energy and a lot of discipleship, they fall away. It's very discouraging. But Jesus tells us right here why this sad phenomenon occurs. Because such people are like the seed that's sown in the rocky ground. They have no root. So when the scorching sun comes of persecution and trouble because of their commitment to the word, they quickly wither and they fall away. Notice as with all the other soils that that Jesus talks about except for the very last one, which bears fruit, um, the word never takes root. It never gets firmly established in the heart and life. So it's not a matter of a genuine believer who really believed and then fell away from grace. It's not somebody who was saved and got unsaved. It's somebody where the word never really took root. Notice what it says. It didn't go down. Sprout up quick, but it didn't take root. Never grabbed hold. They never came to a solid, saving, lasting faith in Christ and bore fruit. Now, in this particular case, the person rejoices in the message of sins forgiven. Think about that. A brand new life and a place in paradise when this life is through. Who wouldn't rejoice at such news? You have to be crazy. If someone said, hey, guess what? I can give you a brand new life, man. (laughs) You know, like your computer where you just reboot it when it messes up? If you messed up, I can give you a brand new life. Be a totally new person. I can wipe out all your sins. I can throw them as far as the east is to the west. And on top of all that, I can guarantee that, all, that hogwash that the people say to everybody when they die, oh, he's in a better place, I can guarantee that's true about you. <laughs> Ain't that crazy? That truly is the best news mankind has ever been given. It really is. Who else, who wouldn't rejoice? But the problem comes in with such people that Jesus is referring to here, among the, the seed that fell on the rocks, is that when they face opposition... And when trouble comes from believing in and from walking in the, the word of the kingdom, they think to themselves, and some of them even say out loud, I didn't sign up for this. Now, I'm not going to name names because I'm not here to pick on anybody or judge anybody, but I just use it as an illustration. I remember a very famous musician who turned Christian and did a number of albums. And um, his fans weren't too happy that he was preaching about Jesus. And so he made a comment like this. Well, Jesus only uh, had a three-year ministry. (laughs) And he went right back to secular. And he pretty much left his profession. People ask those questions. I mean, people say such things. I didn't sign up for this. But John Bunyan puts it this way in his Pilgrim's Progress. He's speaking to Mr. Byens. All these interesting names. And he says this, If you will go with us, you must go against wind and tide. The which I perceive is against your opinion. Now listen, this is powerful. You must also own religion in his rags as well as when he is in his silver slippers. And stand by him too when bound in irons as well as when he walketh the streets with applause. I always love that line. You must own religion even when it's in rags. Amen? 
And I would add, you also must own her when she's unpopular. Religion, that is. When she contradicts everything that this world and its godless culture promotes as normal and good and real when it goes against the word of God and the values of Jesus and his kingdom. I'll tell you, in America, it's becoming clearer and clearer to see who a Christian is and who isn't. Because we have to stand up. I don't know about you, but I don't, in and of itself, I don't like being flagged out, (laughs) standing out. I don't enjoy uh, being singled out. The older I get, the more I really like to blend, but this culture forces us, doesn't it? To say, I'm with him. You know, like I've mentioned before, you go and you meet family members and you finally have these long reunions, that long-awaited reunion, and then you've got to risk it right away because they start asking you questions. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? But you have to ask yourself, am I with Jesus or am I not with Jesus? Did the gospel penetrate into my heart? According to the Bible, God is extremely concerned that the gospel takes deep root in your heart and life, that you're the genuine article that you will stand the test of trouble and persecution, that you will be numbered among God's people. Again and again, we have so many goals in our life. We have so many things that we aim for. But I, I want to show you the, one of the main things that God is concerned about for his people, if not the main. It's in Acts 11.23, for example, to give you an, another cross-reference. Barnabas goes, he hears that the gospel is being preached to Gentiles. He hears that many of them are receiving the grace of God and that the apostles say, hey Barnabas, go check this phenomenon out, man. Go see what's going on. So when he goes, he sees it's a genuine awakening. That people are genuinely being converted and saved by faith in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we read, he says. It's one line, I want you to hear it. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with all their hearts. God's desire for you and for me is that his gospel would sink so deep in us that it would be a part of us, that it would take deep roots. I was thinking, um, I do a lot, as you know, I've been doing a lot of genealogy stuff, just kind of finding out my roots. It's been an interesting journey. And there are a lot of Santos in my family. And I found out where the first one came from, which I won't bore you with those details right now. Ask me later if you want to know. And one of the things, this is, you, might, you might kind of laugh at this, one of the things that, that always bugged me is when I had my son Caleb, I said, Mayor, can we name him Santo? You know what she said? No. I'm like, seriously? Because I, I believe we should be in full agreement when we're naming our kid, you know? So I remember being like, man, my heart was like, Burr. but here's the thing. We were kicking around different names from the Bible because Mary and I both love Jesus because Jesus loved us first. And when I came to Caleb, I'll tell you what sold me on that name. First of all, it's kind of cool. But the real reason is it said that Caleb had a different spirit. He served the Lord with his whole heart. Isn't that awesome? I'll take that over Santo any day. And I'll take that for you too and for me.
that the gospel would so be in your being, so take root and be established, that you would not be among those who quickly uh, sprout up with joy, but as soon as trouble comes, you hit the road. What's interesting here is remember that Jesus told these parables to hide the truth from the enemies of the gospel, but also to reveal the truth to us so that we are to take this to heart. In other words, we're to make our calling and election sure, as Peter would put it in his epistle. We are to take it to heart. Am I this soil? God have mercy. Am I going to run as soon as it gets tough? Is the gospel so in me that I could stand the test? Am I willing to pay the price for being a number? Uh, uh, one of my close uh, friends w- would say, oh, I have a price for everything, just joking around. I always tell him, don't ever say that. That's horrible. You with me? Because if you have a price, the devil will pay it. No, by the grace of God, we have to be among those who we've cast our lot. We believe He is the Son of God. Where else would we go when Jesus turns and says to His disciples, are you going to leave Me too? After many of them leave in the Gospel of John, they say, I believe Peter says, to whom else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's no other option for us. My bridge is burnt. My die is cast. Self-examination in its proper place is a very good thing. It's like a wake-up call or a realignment with the purposes and the will of God in our lives. I remember witnessing to a good friend of mine when, we were, when I was only a few years in the Lord, if that. And I was speaking to him about the return of Christ. And I was reading from Revelation. And I remember he, he had an initial emotional response. And he goes, oh, when he's coming, I'm with him. I don't know. I think my heart dropped. I don't remember what I said. I probably didn't say anything. I kind of was taken aback. Because the issue is this Are you with him now? Because only those who are with him now are going to be with him when he returns. Is the gospel, has the gospel taken root deep in your heart? That's the question. The next seed. Let's jump to it. It's the seed that fell among the thorns. Verse 22, excuse me. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. It's also interesting, before I even dive into this, notice not everybody's the same. Every, there's different types of soil, right? Different types of people, different types of responses. And in this one in particular, the issue with some folk is worry and riches, right? That's what he says. The concerns of this life, the worries of this life. And it's pretty straightforward and easy to detect. Um, the other ones are, excuse me, the other one is straightforward. This one is a little more subtle and a little more difficult to discern because instead of a quick response that fizzles out as soon as uh, it gets tough, it consists of a positive initial response where they actually start, but then life slowly gets choked out of it. You understand? The one is you get real happy, you rejoice, boom, trouble comes, boom, you're out of it. This one is a slow burn. You don't even notice at first, right? Like in a garden when it's around thorns, you don't realize at first that the thorns are beginning to choke out the life. 
And the thorns that do the choking, according to Jesus, are the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. William R. Knott puts it this way. The cares of this world become the snare of those who have little, and the deceitfulness of riches is the snare for those who have much. I like that. In other words, whether you're rich or poor, this can affect you. On the one hand, some will hear the gospel, begin to see its value, only to worry about the affairs of this life so much, be so focused on everyday life, so worried that the gospel that was sown in them gets choked out in their lives. Someone may reason like this, and I've heard it. Yeah, I know about the promises of forgiveness and the life of the world to come, but that won't pay my bills. Ever hear stuff like that? That's a variation of a theme. They so worry about what to eat, what they will wear, where they will live, that they let these things squeeze out the spiritual life of the soul. You get it? Their soul becomes lean, lean, lean until there's no oxygen. These things choke out the seed that was sown. On the other hand, some seem to make a start in the faith only to eventually leave it all together because they allowed the riches of this world to eclipse the world of life to come in their lives. And it might be hard at first to detect this desire for earthly riches. Jesus says the deceitfulness. Notice that? The deceitfulness of riches. Now listen, I've heard this one. I'm going to preach now. Well, there's nothing wrong with being rich. A lot of Christians, true Christians I know, are rich. After all, doesn't God say that we're worse than unbelievers if we don't provide for the members of our own family? And think of this. Here's the other one. Here's the really important thing. Think of all the money I could give to God's work if I was rich. We could have this building. God wants me to be rich. (laughs) I mean, I could go out and I could give you some good reasons. Well, I should be rich. Now, of course, there's some truth in all those statements to a degree. But God knows our hearts. And they could very quickly become a cover-up for all kinds of covetousness, all kinds of greed. Ain't that the truth? It could be a cover-up for the heart's true master, and that is money. Who Jesus told us we can't serve him in money. It's impossible. And that's why Jesus calls it the deceitfulness of riches. The problem with such people is that eventually their true colors will come out and then they will eventually abandon the message of the kingdom for the message of earthly gain. And that's the big issue that we have with health and wealth. That is not the gospel. You're talking about the one who said (laughs) foxes have holes and and the birds of the air have nests, but the the Son of Man has no place to rest his head? He doesn't promise us a mansion here. We may get one. That's between him. (laughs) That's his, his will, not ours. But we very well may not. In most cases, we won't. (laughs) For such people... The problem is not that they have money. The problem is that money has them. It's not that they didn't have the gospel. It's that the gospel didn't have them. Because the gospel was sown 
right? They did hear it. But it was choked out. It never took root in them. It didn't burrow deep down and get firmly rooted and established. Instead, listen to this. This is important. Instead, they chased after the dragon. And here's the problem. They found what they were looking for. You with me? It's all about the money. It's all about the bottom line. It's all about becoming rich, quick schemes. I think of Demas, one of Paul's fellow gospel workers, for a time. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul writes these sad and chilling words. He says, he was telling Timothy to come to him quickly. And he says, for Demas, because what? Because he loved this world, has deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. It's a heartbreak. Perhaps even more to the point is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10. Not easy words to hear, but we need to hear them. He said, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Someone once asked Dr. Wilbur Chapman, What do you consider a good rule of life? And he replied this, and this I think really puts its finger on it for us believers. Anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult is wrong for me and I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. You get that? In other words, if riches is bad for you, if it does not turn you toward Christ, if it doesn't help you uh, serve Him, if it doesn't help you worship Him, then turn from it. It's not for you. One last quote from Justin Martyr. He was around 120 AD, and then we'll go to our last point. And this is what he said. This is really powerful. Contrasting. Um, the seed that fell along the thorns with the next soil we're going to talk about, the seed that fell in good soil. He talks about the early Christian church and he says this, we who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We who used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country, now because of Christ we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. What I like about that is he's expressing a truth of the human heart. We who used to live for wealth, the acquisition of wealth. Boy, does that sound like America or what? We no longer live like that. And that goes to the last seed I want to talk about, that Jesus talks about. And that's the seed that fell on good soil. In Italy, we would say, finalmente. Look at verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The good news is some will hear and understand the good news of the kingdom. They will understand that Jesus and all the spiritual blessings that He richly bestows upon His people are worth any trouble, any persecution we receive because we're associated with Him. They understand full well what Jesus meant when he asked this question. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? They understand the meaning 
of the words of the old hymn that we just sang, Be Still My Soul, when it says this, Be still my soul, thy Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away. And the awesome thing is that they will bear fruit. It will come to fruition in some people. And they will bear sometimes a hundred times what was sown, sometimes 60, and then sometimes 30. And what is neat is we're talking about reproduction. We're talking about leading other people to Jesus through our lives and our words because the word took root and it bore fruit. Matthew Henry says this, By this, true Christians are distinguished from hypocrites. Christ does not say that this good ground has no stones in it or no thorns, but none that could hinder its fruitfulness. I think that's important. It's important because this is the whole issue as we close. The whole reason we are given the understanding of this, or at least the main reason, is so that we would beware of thorns. You with me? The deceitfulness of uh, wealth, riches, as it creeps up in our lives and as we begin to turn away from the gospel because we chase after other things. The worries of this world and the cares of this world, as we find ourselves getting deeply enmeshed in them, we realize, warning Will Robinson. You with me? Or as we start saying, we start doing the pity game, oh, it's hard to follow Jesus. We start realizing, wait a minute. This is what I signed up for because he is the pearl without price. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb to receive glory and honor and majesty. That's the meaning of this parable for us this morning. And by his grace, I say this as I close. For him who has ears to hear Let him hear. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. I needed that this week. We pray that you would use this in our lives. Father, for some of us, a wake-up call. For some of us, a little front-end alignment. For some of us, we needed a complete overhaul on our focus. God, we thank you for your gospel, which is your power unto salvation for all who believe. And we thank you, Father, that even though there are some soils that will not receive the word fully and so come to fruition, that, Father, there are those that you have, that you've prepared their hearts, that they are good soil by your grace, and they will receive it, they will repent and believe, and it will get a hold of them. Father, it's our prayer not only that we are truly numbered among those, but we do ask, Lord, that as individuals and as a little church here, that we would bear much fruit. We want to see your, all the, the love and the grace and the mercy you've poured into us. We want to see it poured out into others, Lord. We want to see it duplicated right here in Atlantic City where it is so needed. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who truly know you and, and by your grace, are sowing seed and all over in, in Liberia at this tough time. Father, in the Middle East, uh, in Italy, in China, where they're having a really tough time, Lord. 
Father, here in the States, we pray that you would help us to encourage us and strengthen us to continue to sow the seed liberally, Lord, that many more would come to know you and that it would speed the day of your coming. Be with us to this end for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' matchless name, our only hope. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.